Howdy. Welcome to Undersampled Radio, the show where we talk science, tech, oil, business, politics, and more. Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm Graham. Together, we're the hosts of this circus. To follow the conversation, make suggestions, or rant and rave, please visit the forum Software Underground at swung.rocks. Hey guys, welcome to episode 5 of Undersampled Radio. This week we're going to do a weird format for the show, just to try it out. We're going to have no guest, and we're going to blab back and forth about a bunch of stuff that Matt and I are doing, and hopefully we have some interesting things to tell you. Um, Matt has put a lot of meat into the show notes this week, so I'm pretty excited to see hear what's going on with him. Um, but first, before we get to the actual substance of the show, uh, Matt has a note here about her URL. What's that? Uh, yeah. So just talking to a couple of people, it sounded like there was, <laughs> there's a little bit of confusion over this funky URL I made for the Slack um, team, or, or I guess the, um, so the software underground group has a Slack team, which you can, which you can join. And inside that Slack team, there's a channel and um, the channel pertains to this this podcast show. Uh, it's where we sort of chit chat back and forth about content and so on. Um, so if you do want to join the Software Underground team, which talks about geology, geoscience, geophysics, and computers, computer stuff, um, uh, for our for our special show channel or just for the general chit chat, um, you can do that at HTTP swung.rocks and that is the url it is swung.rocks uh there's no www there's no .com um if you put those things in i think you just get a kind of 404 or some kind of fail so uh it's got to say that and the the confusion arose because i i gather safari and maybe a couple of other browsers um sometimes I, I like try and interpret the URL and look at it and go, that doesn't look like a URL. I'm putting www on that. Um, and, and, and so it breaks. So just make sure that that's uh, swung.rocks is what you have in the browser. Cool. Thanks. Um, we've had a couple of issues with that and I guess it's going to be, um, can we, can we fix that? Can we, can we make www work? I, you know, DNS, I, I I tried, and, and I can make slack.swung.rocks. That works. Um, but for some reason, if I change it to dub, 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 it, it doesn't. So um, I've done my best. It's, it's, it's out of my control. It's beyond my ken. <laughs> okay, so um, what is an equilux? The equilux, yeah. So I I, I don't know. I, I don't, did I write that in the show notes? <laughs> anyway, um, I guess I, I've, I've always thought the equinox which means, you know, it's, it's Latin, I guess, or derived from Latin and means equal night. I assumed that meant that that's when the day and night were of equal length, but apparently it, it isn't quite like that. And that day is called the equilux, and that happens just before the equinox uh, in the Northern Hemisphere and just after the equinox in the Southern Hemisphere. So the equinox is actually when the, 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 the equator passes through the center of the sun, so the plane of the equator uh, of Earth, Pass, passes through the center of the sun, or to put it the other way, when the, the sun appears to pass over the equator from Earth. And um, and that's an instant in in time, astronomically. 
the, the equilux is a day when the when the day and night are both roughly 12 hours so that was uh what the day before yesterday and the equinox is is tomorrow first day of spring excellent i'm psyched for it it's already 85 degrees fahrenheit down here today how's uh, how's the snow up there uh I, yeah great it's snowing today um it's but it's above 85 kelvin so <laughs> it's not that bad <laughs> that's right um all right so we've got some uh We've got some blog notes on here. Um, it sounds like you guys are getting some hits at uh, the Agile Geoscience blog on the new open data set. Um, you want you want to talk about where the data is and whose data it is? Uh, yeah. So um, agilegeoscience.com. Uh, if if you don't know uh, the the Agile blog, yeah, we um, actually just a chap that I've sort of corresponded with a little bit before through the through the website. Um, used to be at Dana Petroleum. Now he's at um, in the UK government, um, and uh, he got in touch and said, "Hey, we're releasing like the, the UK government is releasing this data set that it acquired last summer, and um, or yeah, last summer, and it's going to be completely freely available. Not only stacks, but gathers, and not only gathers, but field data, uh, publicly available to anyone uh, anywhere in the world." And so well, that's exciting in itself, and I would you know, definitely blog about that um, too, so that you can go see a map. There's something like uh, 20,000 line kilometers of new broadband, broadband data, 2D data, uh, plus they're releasing about 20,000 kilometers of legacy data, uh, plus about 40,000 kilometers of new gravity and magnetic data that they acquired at the same time. So um, it's, it's exciting data set and they're bundling in a bunch of wells as, as well i'm not sure how many wells it is but i think it's many uh many wells from the With, base map it looks pretty significant yeah and i i'm not sure that the like the base map has a huge number of wells on it many of which are not where the seismic is so i'm not sure that those are the wells they're releasing that would seem like a huge number but um because there's got to be 500 dots on there but uh Anyway, there was a list of wells, and it looked pretty good. Um, you're going to have to pay to get hold of um, anything that requires handling disks, which is, you know, so anything they have to ship on physical media, like the field data. Um, and it sounded like that was going to be eight or 10,000 pounds sterling uh, to get hold of, uh, which is quite a lot. But they were open to the idea that they're like, hey, if, if you guys have some ideas about how, you know, how we could distribute that to the geophysical community without everyone having to pay that fee, then go for it kind of thing. Um, uh, anyway, in conjunction with this data release, which you can read about on uh, on the blog there, there's um, a, a sort of content or competition that they're holding, which there's a little bit of urgency around because you have to have your, your uh, application in for the 1st of April. Um, so without having seen this data, you, you have to sort of apply for this competition. And the competition is basically they're looking for ideas, a technology development. Um, it could be an interpretation product. Um, so you, know, you could be offering, I don't know, rock physics analysis or a mapping exercise or something that they're, they're especially interested in things that they can use to promote the 29th, I think, the 29th seaweed licensing round in the UK. Um, and... Uh, I mean, they've, they've stated explicitly that the point is to 
you know, inject a bit of life back into the the community, hoping maybe that someone who maybe has been made redundant recently can get a couple of friends together and make something cool happen. Uh, they're offering, you know, tens of thousands of pounds kind of thing through this competition to people to go to go do exciting stuff in the, in the form of sort of seed funding. So, you know, if that sounds appealing, then um, check it out. There's a link on the on the site. We'll put a link in the show. Well, there is a link in the show notes to the blog post. Um, yeah, get get involved and, and get your skates on, like I say, because you've only got a couple of weeks to get that get that rolling. Yep, I'm pretty excited. I've applied for this thing, and I, I'd love to see this data. Uh, we had uh, somebody on the Software Underground mention that it would be a great idea for these guys to just stick it on Amazon's cloud somewhere to uh, to host the data for everybody, so you don't have to pay that six or eight or ten thousand pounds, whatever it is, to get access. Um, have you, since you know a couple of the guys over there, have you heard any news in that direction? Uh, no, and I mean, you know, okay. that it wouldn't be free of charge to host it through Amazon either, right? You'd, you'd have Certainly, to ship the data to them. and. But at least you only have to pay once to get the data there and then some presumably some nominal fee for, uh, you know, to keep up with their, their ongoing costs. Right. Um, so we're excited to see that it'll be, it'll be neat to have, uh, so much data out there open source. Um, so I see a, the next thing on our list here is a geologic modeling tool, also open source, uh, by Florian Wellman. Right. Now, I don't remember where he is, but you can probably, uh, look, look him up. Yeah. So he... So basically a, t a Twitter acquaintance of mine and um, you know so he's, we've, we've tweeted back and forth I guess about open source geoscience projects and this is one of his research projects Pine Noddy um, yeah it seems to do 3D um, geological modeling so kinematic geological models um, uh, and that's that's really all I know the the, the pay, the, there's a link um, on his like GitHub for the for the Pinodi project, um, you can go read his research paper. There's some really nice figures in there, and yeah, it looks like a really a really interesting project if you're into that sort of thing. And I, I've actually we've we've been looking for a way to build nice 3D geological models for Modeler so that we can forward model them. Um, so I've, I've been thinking about giving it a crack for that uh, yeah. use case. I looked through the repo this morning, um, which is as Matt says on GitHub. And um, in addition to the code up there for open source, he's got a huge amount of simulated models, just examples up there of what the package can do. I mean, I'm talking about maybe not a hundred, but but many dozen. So uh, if nothing else, go look through it. It's actually fascinating just to see what's been done so far. Um, and in, in related to this is is the new QGIS software which just came out which is uh as far as i can tell a surface uh modeling tool not a volume modeling tool mm -hmm. uh, but i've never played with it so what what does it do oh yeah oh qgis is fantastic so um i i believe it's uh, also known as quantum gis um it's a long-standing open source project um it's it's i mean the, the easiest way to describe it although i don't 
don't really like it when people describe things this way, but um, fundamentally, it's the open source competitor to ArcGIS. So it's a desktop, um, multi-platform desktop GIS tool, a, a geographic information um, system, and uh, it's fantastic. So it's the GIS that we use because um, I want to use ArcGIS. I want to pay for it. Um, <laughs> And I prefer it to ArcGIS. I think especially for someone coming into a GIS that doesn't really know a lot about GIS workflows, I would say that it's easier to use than ArcGIS. It's nice. I prefer the design. The user interface is really friendly, very easy to get into. So if you just want to kind of get in and make some quick maps, you know, put some seismic on a map or make a grid, it's super easy to do. And it's supported just like ArcGIS is. ArcGIS has got a fantastic, very deep toolbox of, of um, geospatial analysis tools. Um, but QGIS has an, a competitive uh, toolbox, I would say. And it's open source and, and, and easy to write your own stuff too. Um, you can write stuff. QGIS is written in Python. You can add stuff into it in Python. Um, Anyway, the new release, 2.14, is the new um, long-term support release. Uh, so, it, you know, it's pretty robust, and they will continue to support it for um, many months, I think even years after its kind of normal uh, lifespan. So, um, you know, it's a great time to sort of jump in and, and have a look at it because this one is ready for prime time kind of thing. Uh, the QGIS project is is cool because it's supported rigorously, I would say, by many funders, many so like the Irish government and various uh, German and Austrian um, municipalities and governments support the development of this open source project. So it's very cool to see what uh, you know what one of these projects can do when it's supported like that by. What, what you would normally call customers, but they're donors because it's an open source project. Um, you know, the, 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 the group of people all over the world, the developers are all over the world, there's no QGIS company, um, can, can, can create this kind of tool together. It's awesome, awesome project. That sounds fascinating. I, you know, we, we do, uh, have you ever played with Global Mapper? No. Okay, so there's, there's another piece of uh, free little mapping software out there um, that, that you should check out. And I'm sure it's not as robust as Quantum GIS, but, um, you know, it's worth something. Hmm. Um, so what what is this note here about tw Twitter has gone algorithmic? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I, um, so, you know, Twitter's always been a bit unusual in that, um, or I guess it's become increasingly unusual as Facebook and LinkedIn have gone in the other direction. Um, Twitter's always been just like, let's say you follow 100 people, and you know they tweet at random times throughout the day, say. And you go to your timeline, and you see their tweets in the order that they tweeted them, um, and you only see the tweets from the people that you follow. Or you know maybe they retweet things. But um, that it's kind of very linear and very what you see is what you get kind of thing. Uh, you know, whereas Facebook had gone the the other way and had this complicated algorithm and was doing you know all this sort of machine learning to figure out well actually these seem to be your closest friends and these are the things you mostly click on and these are the things you're probably interested in and there's 
your friends may say things that you never see in Facebook. Um, plus, of course, there's the sort of promoted tweet, um, Facebook posts and, and ads and so on that until recently Twitter didn't have. So Twitter started adding, you know, as, as you may have heard, Twitter's uh, investors put a lot of pressure on the company to make money. <laughs> well, the, the thing is, Twitter did make money and they just wanted it to make more money because they're investors and they need to make, you know, they need it to be a, a sort of $100 billion company. Um, otherwise, things don't count anymore. Apparently, making half a billion dollars a year, which is what they're making, is, is not sufficient. So it, it fundamentally sort of greed-driven uh, development, unfortunately. So we got promoted tweets sometime like last fall, I think, and, and they're incredibly annoying. Um, you know, they show up. They, they look almost exactly like normal tweets. It's very easy to click on them. And if you do, you will continue to see that promotion kind of yeah. thing. It will never go away. Um, and now they've even done what people thought was the the thing that Twitter could never do because it's this whole raison d'etre was this linearity. They've 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 made this algorithmic timeline. So it will boost uh, or, or, or prefer things that it thinks you want to see. Um, you can turn it off in, in your settings. Um, but yeah, it, anyway. I, it probably there's lots of people on Twitter who really have, I mean, maybe I sound like I have my knickers in a twist over it and I, I, I really doesn't bother me that much, especially that you, you can turn it off. Um, but it, it's definitely, uh, it was big news in the Twitter sphere this week. I like it. I like Twitter telling me what news I want to see first. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was, there, there's, there, there's another new feature that I, that I do quite like and some people hate this too, um, where... If you've been away from the app for a while, uh, you know, like overnight, or you haven't been in there all day, the next time you go in, there's I think four or maybe five tweets that you missed because normally in the timeline they're gone, right, forever kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and they're, I find that they select those few tweets uh, quite well. So I'm yes. quite grateful for that that piece of the service. So maybe I shouldn't whine. What you missed while you were away? What do they call that? Yeah, yeah. While you're away, and I, I, th I think it works really well. And I'm, I'm like, oh yeah, these are these. Are, they're really often really good tweets from people like Florian Wellman talking about pie naughty. <laughs> yes, that's yes. It's cool. It's it's kind of annoys me, but whatever. Okay, so I feel like I've been uh, interviewing you here uh, because again, you've had such cool news, but. Let me talk about what the hell I'm doing right now. <laughs> so we have two two projects going on right now, um, which both fit into the, the domain of hacking, one, one that I'm working on, one that Matt's working on. And Matt's is much cooler, so I'm going to tell you mine first, so you have to sit around and listen to it before you get to the good stuff. Um, so I'm building out this uh, piece of software to steal... <laughs> Or, or extract um, hidden information from from the uh, NASA astronaut roster uh, from their biographies. So uh, I I applied to be an astronaut in this round of applications, and uh, I should have thought of this sooner before I submitted my application. But I, I realized I was I was wondering what kinds of skills does the current astronaut roster have and in what combination of people 
do those skills lie? So um, I guess this is sort of one of the you know old school data science projects, which is basically uh, tell your computer to interpret human language, in this case English, and, and turn it somehow into data and sort of cross-correlate different events or things that you think are important and, and see what you can come up with. Um, so I am in no shape or form an expert in this, in this domain. Uh, so I decided let's do it because I want to learn how to do it. Um, so I started, and this is what I was asking Matt a couple of weeks ago about the, um, uh, scraping PDF files. Um, so I, I used, I actually ended up using Mathematica to scrape all the information just because it was simple to do PDFs that way. And, um, started going through it, realized that the, the actual data cleaning, uh, was was less effective in Mathematica, so I've switched over now to Matt's favorite Python. <laughs> so I'm writing the 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 actual um, the data cleaner in, in Python, and we'll see how it goes. And I, I assume that I'll also write the analysis tool in Python. Um, once again, also just because I'm not a Python pro and I want to get better, so. I'm doing it this way. So, so far, no results, but uh, things are moving along and I'm seeing some stuff. So I'm, I actually started a GitHub repo last night where I have the, uh, the, the raw data. If anybody's interested, you can go on there and, and check it out. My, my uh, GitHub uh, handle is gganzel, G-G-A-N-S-S-L-E. And you can get all the data up there for free and uh, the everything I've written so far, which is just the beginnings of the, of the cleaning algorithm. And then, of course, if you have Mathematica, you can get all my scraping tools and what I used to get the data in the first place. Um, That's really cool. That sounds great. I, I mean, I would have thought NASA themselves would be quite interested in in that piece of research. Yeah, my aim is when if I come up with any interesting results, I'll publish it uh, at NASA. Uh, try to try to gain some interest uh, just through social media channels. And if they want it, it it's up there, and they can have it. So. Do you know how you're going to do the, what kind of approach you're going to take for the analysis? I mean, it's going to be um, mostly text, is it, the, the data set? Or is there some yeah. numeric data in there too? All the data is text. And so I'm kind of extracting things in what I hope are clever ways about, uh, in the simplest case, uh, things like birth dates and ages and, uh, you know, graduation dates and things like that. And in the most complicated cases, which for a real data scientist is not very complicated at all, but uh, things like uh, interests and hobbies and um, associations between hobbies and professional experience. Um, so again, uh, we'll see where it goes and it, it may turn out that nothing comes out of it, but um, yeah, that's, that sounds really cool. There's um, so related possibly uh, I noticed this week, IBM, I, I I wasn't paying a huge amount of attention to Watson um, just because, uh, you know, it's a, a paid sort of platform. But I noticed that they've made it free or or hugely expanded the free sort of layer. Um, yeah, so, and Watson has, like, if you, I don't know if you've looked at Bluemix, um, which is IBM's sort of cloud framework. Um, it's very cool, definitely worth checking out. It's a little bit like Google App Engine or, uh, some, or something like that. Um, but Bluemix has very nice looking API into Watson for its machine learning stuff. So for text um, as well as numeric stuff. So 
um, you might want to check that out because look, look like it'd be fun to play with. It's yep. very rich, uh, very rich API, and you can get to it all through Python. And, yeah. Cool. Well, let's put a, a note about that here in the show notes because that's that sounds like a a thing that many of our listeners would be interested in um, doing the doing the the human language to machine language interface is, is fascinating and uh, it's it's really neat to learn about people who are experts in the field. Yeah, and um, these, um, like at least in my experience, these web APIs into like um, the the other one that I've used a bit is Mashape, M A S H A P E dot com, and they have uh, a huge number of um, web APIs for just usually just like it'll do like you know one or two things. So you can do things like gender guessing from names. Um, uh, what else? Emotion analysis um, from tweet or from a piece of text, um, hashtag guessing, this kind of thing. And most of them are free, and so and very easy to play with because all you have to do is form this little, a little bit of a few parameters to put them in a dict, throw them in through this web API, and you get back a piece of text in return. And it's a nice way to play with these things without having to kind of like. And Python NLTK is the big natural language processing sort of toolkit, uh, you know, and that's there's potentially a lot just to get into that, just to find out if it's worth pursuing, right? So yeah. Um, so tell us about your hack, which seems like it's almost coming to a close. Uh, well, I wouldn't quite say that. Like, it, yeah, we're sort of in the middle of in the middle of it in a way right now, but we're trying to get an abstract together for SciPy. Um, so we're going to make go, go present it there. Uh, so this is uh, Matteo Nicolai and I, and uh, you, know, we, you remember we met Matteo a couple of weeks ago on this show. Um, so yeah, the I guess the in a nutshell, what we'd like to be able to do is to get or look at a page uh, from a journal or something. Um, ideally, automatically find a data figure, so let's say a seismic line, um, um, a seismic display, or a map, extract that um, that figure as an image, guess or infer the color map that was used in the image. It was very often not present, especially in seismic displays. Like on maps and things, it, it, the, the color bar is often part of the figure. Um, but with seismic, it, it isn't. So infer the color map. So we don't need the color map to be there. Figure out what order it goes in. Of course, you don't know what the data values are, but for some types of data like seismic, that doesn't matter. Um, and then once you've got the color map, you can use it in reverse as a sort of code book, they call it, and look up the data values uh, in the image and turn it into data. And then you can well, then you can do whatever you like, right? So then you can do signal processing or save it as a SegWi file or um, just redisplay it with a different color map, uh, which is sometimes what you want to do. So so one of the kind of fun use cases for this is to build a Twitter bot, which will look for scientific images that use terrible color maps, like spectrum, rainbow, this kind of thing. Extract the data, get the color map, Turn it into real data, redisplay it with a proper color map like Viridis or one of the perceptual color maps that Mateo's invented, uh, or even just grayscale, which is a, a perceptual color map, and retweet it and sort of scold the 
the person who tweeted the terrible color man in the first place. So it's, it's I can't quite, see where you're going to get into any trouble with this thing. <laughs> but I'd also just quite like it to be like a Chrome extension or something where you can come across a figure in a paper and say, hey, I want this as data um, without having to. I mean, I think. And this is a little bit spurred on by the fact that like SEG author guidelines say that your paper should be reproducible. Like, it actually says this. I think it's the second bit of the author guidelines in the ethical like guidelines section. Um, your paper should be reproducible, so your code should be available, and your data should be available. This is like should apply to all papers in geophysics leading edge. And of course, it applies to very few of them. Um, now, I haven't done this experiment, but in, in other disciplines, people have done research experiments where they've said, okay, I'm going to write to every author and ask them for their data. Yeah. And I, I dare say that our discipline will be typical or slightly below average, um, but I, I can't say that for sure. Um, the response rate is usually very low, you know, 20, 30% kind of thing where they, where they actually manage to get the data out of the author. So this is a kind of slightly cheeky way to circumvent that. And say, well, you published this image, which is effectively data. So, so you actually gave me your data, whether you realize it or not. So, uh, for the uh, for the authorities, this is, is Matt Hall. He lives in uh, Nova Scotia. <laughs> he has a company called Agile Geoscience. When you're ready to pick him up, just uh, go ahead and get up there. Uh, I think uh, I think this is a really cool idea, man, and uh, it's going to be. It's going to have to be used responsibly because <laughs> there are so many silly things you could do with it if, if uh, you were, say, standing around uh, a PGS booth with your cell phone camera and you wanted uh, some free data. Um, but um, the Twitter bot, I like the Twitter bot idea. That's very fun. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see where it goes. <laughs> so we just had uh, in New Orleans, we just had uh, NOE 2016, which is New Orleans Entrepreneur Week. And... Um, it's, it comes around once a year. It's an annual event. It is absolutely huge now. Um, in fact, when it first started about five years ago, maybe six years ago, uh, I think it was just a dozen of us sitting around in a room with scribbling on whiteboards talking about whatever our projects were. Uh, and now they have like 10,000 visitors. It's, it's, it's a bear. I mean, it's, it's amazing. There's a bunch of people with capital looking for ideas. There's a bunch of people with ideas looking for capital. Um, and one of the day-long events this year, which was on Thursday, was the Energy Innovation Summit, uh, where we heard from several companies, several innovative companies coming up with new products to put on the market. Um, and all these guys, in this case, were talking about hardware developments um, related to some of the software they were developing. So it was a really cool contest because it was a pitch competition. And it was a really well-held event. The panel of judges included uh, Chip Goodyear and um, some some big names in the in the capital venture uh, market in the, in the Orbis. So check it out um, on their website. And in fact, if you want to go on Twitter, it's hashtag NOEW2016. Um, so come down to New Orleans next year and, and uh, learn about it. It's a ton of fun. Um, so before we go, we want to mention some some books here, and uh, I have a rant, so I'm going to start. So I just saw the SEG's new book sale recently. I think it started a few weeks ago, and uh, there was a there was a book on there that I'd been meaning to buy for a while. It's called 3D Seismic Survey Design, 
Um, and so I said, well, it's cheap now. Let me pull the trigger. But while I was on the website, I got suckered into buying another book. It looked very fancy, very nice. It's got a cool picture on the front. And I said, wow, finite difference modeling. I need to have that book. So I bought it. I started looking through it. And it came in the mail days later. And there's no information in it. I said, what the hell, man? So I got more and more agitated. Finally, I realized, okay, there's a, there's a CD in the back. So I plugged the CD into the computer and all of the articles, this is, uh, this book is an, an aggregation of, of abstracts, uh, related to a certain subject matter. Uh, it's called the geophysical reprint series and there's a bunch of them. The CD contains the articles, but the book, which you're paying for, does not contain in paper form the articles, just the abstracts from each one of these articles. Uh, so it really annoyed the hell out of me. I, I've bought a couple of the geophysical reprint series before, and they have the full papers. So damn you, SEG, spend the money, print the papers in the book. That's why I want it. Paper reference. If I wanted to read it online on the computer, I would just get it online. Yeah, why don't, why don't just, I mean, if you're a member, you, all you really want is all the links to the papers. Like, be much. that's really strange. How many abstracts are there then? I mean, is uh, it just that if they printed them as a book, it would be like, you know, it's the thousand papers or whatever? There are many papers, many abstracts in the book, and I recognize that they can't cost-effectively print out all that stuff, and that's fine to, you know, limit your subject matter or something or make two different volumes. I, I don't know. They're, the last one I bought, the last geophysical reprint series I bought is called Pre-Stack Depth Migration and Velocity Model Building, and um, it's very targeted subject matter and it contains all the papers and I was quite happy with it. That's what I thought I was purchasing this time, but they got me. So you've had an, a much better book experience here in the last couple of weeks. Tell us quickly about this book. Uh, yeah, well, it, so it just it turns out that now I can't remember the title, but it's something like um, artificial intelligent approaches in petroleum geoscience or something like that. And, um, you know, it's spring of Erlag, so it's, well, A, it was expensive. Um, B, uh, it's pretty, it's kind of traditional, old school style of collection of papers. Um, but that, but I was actually quite, um, quite impressed. They're quite good. Um, petroleum engineers, uh, geoscientists talking about um, doing all sorts of different um, styles of prediction, uh, different types of algorithms, uh, you know, regression stuff, classification problems. Um, Obviously, all highly relevant. Uh, I think it was published in 2014, something like that. I don't remember the author's names, but uh, the link's in the show notes there. Um, I'll just mention a couple of others I got. I'll hold them up so Graham um, can see them, but uh, I'll, I'll tell you what they're called. So uh, one of these O'Reilly books, Advanced Analytics with Spark. Um, the developer that we hired last year uh, has used Spark before and says it's, it's pretty fantastic. So I figured we should start getting into that. And I, I was like, getting into things with a book. I find that easier than reading through a lot of online tutorials and things. I can read it in bed. <laughs> and uh, I really recommend this this book, actually. Um, if you're a beginner in Python or in scientific computing in general, this O'Reilly volume came out um, early this year. It's called Effective Computation in Physics. Uh, it's by Anthony Skopatz and Catherine Huff. Um, both 
well-known um, scientific Python sort of contributors. And if you go to the SciPy conference in Austin in July, um, these people are very involved in the program there. And, um, you know, they're, they're fun, both fun characters, especially Scopats. <laughs> and, uh, and this book is remarkable in its breadth. So it covers just a huge amount of stuff from command line to um, uh, like handling HDF5 files in Python to machine learning to visualization, um, functional programming. Like it's, and like it's quite a bit because it's sort of aimed at students. There's quite a bit on writing and, you know, using LaTeX and writing reproducible documents. Anyway, in, in terms of bang for buck, as a beginner's volume in Python, highly recommend it. It's a really great book. And well, I guess it was nearly 60 bucks Canadian, so it was reasonably pricey, but I, I would say money pretty well spent. Yeah. Awesome. We'll put some uh, notes on there on the, in the show notes about the books, uh, titles, and authors so you guys can check them out. Um, so in end of show related no news, uh, I am trying to come up with a as of like 30 minutes ago, a sign off. Uh, it seems like uh, everybody on, on, on the radio and, and on podcasts has got a clever sign off. And seeing as I'm not clever enough to come up with my own sign off, I'm going to, I'm going to source one from the crowd. So uh, it'll be, if you want to contribute your ideas, it'll be on, uh, on the software underground swung down rocks. Um, with that, Matt, do you have anything else? I do not know. Okay. Well, uh, we will actually have a guest on next week. I'm pretty excited, uh, but I'm not going to release the name of our guest because it's not set in stone yet, and I don't want to jinx our awesome guest. So thank you guys for stopping by to Undersampled Radio. Radio.